Hello there, good morning. It's a snowy, cold day, but there's sun in February of 2024, and I'm reading to you again out of Betty Girl and Other Animal Stories. This story is called Dandy. Dandy was just a homely dog of mixed breed, but for over 10 years, he seemed to me like an important part of our family. He was as loyal and faithful as any boy could wish for, and a real watchdog. Every night, he slept on the rug on the porch, right in front of the door. One night, he raised such a racket, such a din of excited yelping and barking, that I was sure there must be burglars trying to get in. Dad was the first to get dressed and reach the door, and I was right behind. With flashlights in hand, we cautiously sneaked around, sneaked out around the corner of the shop to see where the scene of the fray was. A phrase like a fight or something crazy. We'll have to check that one. By this time, Dandy was joyously wagging his tail, delighted to show us the prized trophy he had. An opossum! He had done his duty and killed the enemy, or so he thought, and now he wanted the praise due him. The grapes were ripe at the time, and we thought the opossum must have climbed up the grape barber and helped himself to some, and, I, and was probably ready to head back for the woods when Dandy caught it. I rolled the carcass over, wishing it were spring, and it was a mama opossum with a pouch full of babies, or that a row of them were clinging to the tail. Dad was closely examining the opossum in the beam of the flashlight, trying to determine if it was really dead or if it was putting on an act. We decided to step inside the milk house, taking Dandy with us and watch for a while. Sure enough, wasn't long until by the light of the moon, we saw the opossum begin to stir. Soon it da- daz- dazedly, that's an interesting word, dazedly, like in days, got to its feet and turned its head from side to side to make sure the coast was clear. Then it hightailed off to the orchard. Dandy had been fooled. There was another time when we think Dandy really did scare off a burglar. It was a Sunday evening, and my two younger brothers and I were at home, alone. We were sitting there reading when suddenly our gas mantle lamp began to grow dimmer and dimmer. Oops, I'd forgotten to fill the tank before I lit it. There was nothing to do but either sit in the dark or go fill the tank with a flashlight. It was then we got the bright idea of playing hide-and-seek in the dark kitchen. It would be scary and thrilling. We had a lot of fun playing for a half an hour or so when suddenly Dandy started barking and growling in his most ferocious and vicious tone of voice. We were really frightened. I quickly got the kerosene lamp from the bedroom and lit it. The prowler must have seen the lamplight. For in a few minutes, we heard an engine roaring to life and saw the taillights of a vehicle zooming out the lane. They had probably thought no one was home until they saw the light. We think they wanted to fill their tank with our gas. I used to think Dandy was just about perfect, smarter than any other dog. We'd go for long, rambling walks through the woods together, and then we went fishing. And when we went fishing, he knew enough not to scare the fish. That's pretty smart, huh, kids? But Mom thought he had a few annoying habits, such as chasing the banties and the cats. Do you know what banties are? Banties are a small kind of chicken. He loved to romp with the colt in the meadow, and together they raced back and forth, both seeming to enjoy it tremendously. I had a keen interest in purple martins, for they were my favorite birds. My uncle had put up two martin houses on his farm, and I thought it was fascinating the way they lived in colonies and warbled and twittered so happily and swooped and glided around catching harmful insects. I got Dandy interested, too. Excuse me. I got Dad interested, too. And one winter, he helped me build a house for them. We mounted it on a pole that spring, and before long, a few purple martin scouts were circling it. The scouts are the first birds that return in the spring, flying ahead to look for a suitable housing for the colony. 
I was overjoyed when they judged it to be suitable, and eventually a colony was established in it. The amazing part was that Dandy seemed to be fascinated by the birds as fascinated as we were. He would sit there for hours, intently watching their graceful glides and swoops and listening to their cheerful chatter. The birds didn't seem to mind his presence at all, but when a cat came close, it sure sounded like a calamity. When Dandy heard their fussing and scolding, he would come running and streak after that cat. It almost seemed like he knew to protect and look out for his friends, the martin birds. Dandy was usually very friendly and good-natured, but there were two English neighbor boys they didn't like at all. Now, when people that are Amish or Mennonites say English, that would be people that are more like you and me. I'm talking to my granddaughters here, um, my grandkids here, that just wear sort of normalish, normal American clothes, kind of, more or less. They call us English, the ones that aren't Amish or Mennonites, in other words. Back to the story. We think that sometime when we weren't home and he was tied up, they must have come over and teased and angered him on purpose, and he didn't forget it. Whenever they came for eggs, he would growl menacingly and try to stalk them. The boys were afraid of him and would call us, call for us to come tie him up. But then a while later, an amazing thing happened. My mother and sister weren't home, and Dad and us boys were in one of the backfields picking produce. My five-year-old brother was sent to the house to bring a jug of water. It was a short while later that these neighbor boys came for eggs and were amazed to see Dandy greet them with a joyous, friendly bark. He was eagerly wagging his tail instead of his usual ferocious growls. He turned and trotted toward the house and then looked back appealingly at the boys. If they stopped following, he would anxiously repeat it until they plainly got the message that he wanted them to follow him. He ran to the screen door and there in the kitchen, there in the kitchen, they found my little brother sprawled on the floor. He had climbed up on the stool looking for candy on a high shelf. The stool tilted and he fell. He hit his head on the corner of the table and it knocked him out for a short time. All of us were astonished that Dandy had been smart enough to swallow his grudge toward the boys in order to get their help. He never bothered them much after that, and they never teased him again. It was a sad day for all of us when one winter day, Dandy was chasing a truck going out our lane and hit an ice patch and slid under the wheels. We missed him awfully, and when the Purple Martins came back in the spring, I wondered if they missed him too. We've had three Dandies since but none that were as smart and lovable as our first name. That was a nice story, wasn't it? About Dandy, their faithful dog that was a, it's, he said, a mixed breed. That means not one kind, but mixed up different kinds of dogs. Good morning, this is Gigi. I'm going to read from the Betty Girl series of animal stories from the Mennonites. This chapter is called Faithful Queenie. In May of 1982, a foal was born whom we named Queenie. Queenie grew up to be the most memorable horse our parents owned. She was also the laziest and tamest horse I ever saw. When wintertime came, We'd head for the barn to get Queenie. By braiding binder twine, we'd make shafts and rings. We took three pan sleds without runners and fastened them one behind another. With Queenie in the front, my, how did we fly along. She'd have her harness bridle on with strings attached to the sleds. Woe unto us when the strings tore loose. 
on the back 40. Queenie would come up to the barn panting, and sure enough, there came the three disgruntled sledders walking. It was too bad that we had no boots on, as we'd have to cross the creek twice, and the snow was deep. Later, the boys made a homemade sled by turning the car hood upside down and putting shocks on it. The seat was a hay bale, and many were the times Queenie took the corner too sharply and the seat and all who were on it were dumped off. Queenie would wait patiently until everything was back in order, then off we went again. The three older girls would drive Queenie to the singings. Once her bit got out of her mouth and they lost control. First one girl threw the rein and jumped. Next another girl jumped out. Now two remained. A friend was along. Poor Queenie was going out the blacktop at a dead gallop. Irma was finally able to get her stopped after Queenie rolled the buggy. She and Jean climbed out while Queenie patiently stood there. One of the girls grabbed Queenie by the leg and Queenie took off at high speed. We didn't find her until Sunday evening when the police department called. She had traveled another four miles before stopping. Only bits and pieces of her harness were left. I, for one, remember how glad I was to see her that next Monday morning. I remember when Mom and several of the younger children went strawberry picking about four miles from home. Queenie somehow slipped the rope loose and left for home to her foal. When Dad found her, she'd traveled three miles already with the rope trailing around her neck. She was going up a hill on the wrong side of the road with the buggy. Speaking of foals, Queenie had several, and when we'd use her, we'd have to milk her because her bag became too full. Many were the times people gawked at us after leaving church when we milked her. Queenie was so tame, she didn't even care. Many times it would be quite an event trying to catch Queenie when she was out in the pasture. If someone forgot Mom wanted to use Queenie and let her out, it was a whole family affair trying to catch her. Just when you thought, now I have her, off she went. It worked best when one person went out with a pail of feed and a neck rope. Since we had no halters on the horses, a rope was needed. But lo, if Queenie saw that rope, off she went, and we'd start all over again. Queenie had a brother named Prince, whom we often hitched double. They were a matched strawberry roan. That's a reddish brown pair of horses. Queenie was extra small, a part workhorse. She was as round as a crackle bit, cracker barrel, and her backside was so broad as a canoe paddle, so bareback riding was an easy thing to do. When we'd have to go fetch the cows and horses, we walked down the pasture lane and across the creek. We'd catch Queenie and ride her home saddleless and bridleless. We'd just hang on to our mane, and off we went, chasing the cows home. Another time, the three youngest girls, aged three, five, and seven, went horseback riding. We'd use a bridle with baler twine fastened for the reins. 
Queenie neatly dumped off the three-year-old, next the seven-year-old, then deposited the five-year-old and went home to the barn. The three-year-old had to be carried home as the wind was knocked out of her. The county dump was close by, and we'd hitch Queenie to the back hack. I meant to say hack, not back and go rummaging while she'd patiently and sometimes not so patiently wait. Queenie often took us on many trips to the 10 cents hole to swim. I've never heard of a 10 cent hole. Mom would sit down and read and we'd unhitch Queenie to eat grass. My sister and I would often hitch Queenie to the buggy and take her to town. Once, we bought a pack of balloons, and on the way home, we pulled out a few of her tail hairs to tie the balloons on Queenie and the buggy, and she never batted an eye. When we stopped beside the road and had to crawl down over the road embankment to pick some things up, Queenie tried to crawl down too, buggy and all. Since Queenie was such a tame horse, she became rather spoiled and lazy. Sometimes when being ridden bareback, she'd refuse to go, which brings up another Queenie story to my mind. Dad bought a new carriage, and my sister was supposed to ride Queenie the four miles to get it, and Dad would follow her. When Dad caught up with her, she'd only gone about a mile because Queenie refused to let her ride. So Dad got on, and then Queenie moved faster. When Dad wanted to sell her in 97, I believe most everyone objected. I remember I felt rather sad. Eventually, Queenie and her brother, Prince, went on to be show horses in another state. Good old Queenie. How we loved her. And that's the end of that story. The next story Mimi will read to you is called Tweety. Tweety, like Tweety Bird, a little bird. Tweety, our little wren. A wren is a type of a bird. For quite a while, we couldn't understand what it was that was carrying a messy pile of twigs into the hanging planter on the back porch near the old water pump. Every time we saw some, we would clean them all out and throw them away. But whatever it was, was really determined for the litter was soon there again. Litter means like trash or mess, doesn't it? Let me explain that our back porch was seldom used and hardly anyone went out that way. The water pump wasn't being used much anymore either. It was only in the cooler of the evening after the day's work was done that my sisters and I would traipse out there with our corn husk dolls to head out the back pathway to the creek. We had made a little playroom there under the low-hanging tree branches with old logs and rocks for our seats. We loved to pretend we were grown-up moms sitting at church with our babies, talking as grown-up and ladylike as possible. Every time we passed that hanging planter on our way down, we saw yet another pile of twigs in it. For some reason, this irked, that means really bothered, my older sister Loretta, and she would in exasperation throw them all out muttering at the dirty trick. But as we sat playing with our dolls, we kept hearing the most lilting and musical trilling, and we marveled at the beauty of it. What kind of bird could it be? One evening, we persuaded Mother to join us at our Creekside pretend church services. 
we carried our dolls and she carried baby Cleason. She too seemed puzzled by the twigs in the hanging planter and she hoped it wasn't mice. We then sat on our log seat and mother sat on a rock and we sang, Jesus loves me. When our children's childish singing was over, mother suddenly said, shh, I hear a wren. And there it was again, that sweet lilting melody we'd been hearing. A wren, so that's what it was. Suddenly mother began to laugh. Now I know what those twigs were doing in the hanging basket, she said. Loretta, you've been destroying those poor, hard-working little wren's nest. Loretta's mouth flew open in surprise, and then she was as sorry as could be, for we're all bird lovers, and we hadn't had wrens on our farm before, none that we could remember. We gazed up into the treetops, searching for the source of the, fl- source of the flow of trilling silvery notes, and then we saw it. It was a perky little bird with a tail that stood almost straight up, bobbing around on a branch end, almost concealed by leaves. And as we watched before our very eyes, he flew over to the back porch and alighted on the edge of the hanging planter. His mate joined him there, and on seeing the destruction that had once again befallen their nest, they began to fuss and scold. But they were undaunted, and pluckily, began to regather the same twigs Loretta had just thrown out. We were fascinated and watched them as they worked. Until twilight descended and they flew off to their nighttime roost. Well, your mystery is solved, Mother said happily. I've always wished to have wrens and now we can watch them raise their brood. And watch we did in the days that followed. In a surprisingly short time, the nest was finished and Jenny Wren was sitting on her clutch of eggs. She sat there so patiently day after day, and we girls waited and watched, sometimes not so patiently. Then one day, we were a bunch of excited, happy girls, for the baby wrens had hatched. The new parents were very busy then, happily raising their family, with time left for plenty of cheerful trilling and warbling. The day came when the fledglings were old enough to leave their nest, and then calamity struck in the form of a big, mean old tomcat. We made short work of, he made short work of three of the baby birds and had started on the fourth when Loretta discovered him. Screaming and crying, we girls all ran to get mother, who was putting a load of laundry through the washing machine ringer. Above the noise of the engine, she heard our cries and came running. She grabbed a stick, ran after the cat, and whacked him, just as he was sneaking under a bush with the birdie. Mama and Papa Wren were making almost as much of a racket as we girls were, and along with the distressed cries of the baby Wren, it was almost enough to rouse the whole neighborhood. After repeated blows, the tomcat finally released his catch, and Mother tenderly picked up the injured baby Wren. We began to cry again when we saw that there was a jagged tear in its side, near the wing. We begged Mother to call the vet, but she sadly shook her head. No, I think she was pretty... No, shook her head no. I think she was pretty certain the birdie was going to die anyway, for it was shaking and gasping for breath. But for our sake, she did our best to comfort it and take care of it. She got the bottle of peroxide and poured some over the wound. Then she put a piece of cotton on it and taped it loosely. The baby wren lay quietly in the palm of her hand, almost as if it knew she was going to fix his hurts, blinking his eyes every now and then. To mother's surprise and to our delight, The birdie recovered and was soon hopping around and clamoring to be fed. We took him outside to return him to his parents, but they were nowhere to be seen. I suppose they had flown far away to a place where there were no cats. So we girls got busy hunting things for the fledgling to eat. Different kinds of bugs were a delicacy to him. 
We girls loved him devotedly, but he always seemed to prefer mother. Maybe he knew that she was the one who had saved his life. Tweety, as we had named him, would perch on her finger, and if she'd bring him up close to her face, he would try to peck at her glasses. Maybe he saw his reflection and wanted to play with a companion of his own kind. Once my sister, my, my younger sister, fed him part of an oatmeal cookie, and we were, all, we were all very frightened and concerned when he began to make choking and gagging sounds. He got over it, and after that, we were more careful about what we fed him. He was, very, he was soon very tame, and we took him outside to the yard. He would hop along as we pecked lima beans or trimmed the flower beds and walkways. We hadn't seen the old tomcat since, so we assumed he had gone away for good and it was safe for Tweety to be out. Soon he could fly to the clothesline and tree branches. He would also act rather comical and we often laughed at his cute antics. Once a sudden thunderstorm came up and we couldn't find Tweety quickly to bring him inside. We were really worried about him and as soon as the rain stopped, we hurried outside to find him. He was in the flower bed nestled under the petunias and looking very forlorn and bedraggled. We brought him in and put him in a box with a soft cloth in it, and we put it in the slightly warm oven for a while. He was soon as perky and cocky as ever. That fall, his parents, or so we surmised, returned, and he was soon spending nearly all of his time with them, and eventually flew off with them. We all missed him and hoped he would return to us the next spring and be our pet again. We had a pair of wrens again the next summer, but had no way of knowing if one of them was Tweety, as neither of them gave any indication of knowing us. We had put a wren house we had put up a wren house by then, and so the hanging basket planter wasn't needed. Tweety holds a dear place in our memory though, and in the years since I've always loved hearing the joyous rollicking trilling of a of the perky little wrens whenever we're fortunate enough to have a pair nest on our property. That little story was called Tweety, our little wren. The Chatterbox. It all started the day my brother walked in the door with a tiny bundle of brown fur in his arm. Of course, the whole family was full of questions. Where did you get it? Why? How? The scared critter in question was a baby squirrel. It was peering at us with round black eyes and hanging on to my brother's shirt for dear life. Neighbor Larry felled a large hollow tree while he was logging. When the tree hit the ground, Larry found a nest full of baby squirrels, my brother explained. What happened to the rest of them, we asked. Larry's keeping the others for pets, but he didn't want them all, he answered. He couldn't find the mother anywhere, and he couldn't just leave them there to starve. Now we had to find a suitable nest and some food for the poor, hungry orphan. We made a cage for him on the back porch and put some rags in it to make a comfy bed. Then we fed him bread dipped in milk. Soon the little orphan curled up with the tip of his bushy tail curled around to cover his nose and settled down for a snooze. Since we couldn't agree on a name for him, he was stuck with the name of Squirrely. That's a hard one to say, Squirrely, Squirrely. The following days were days, the following days were days full of fun and merriment as we made friends with Squirrely. If I curled up in the recliner with a book, he would burrow his way in between the recliner and my back. Wedged in so tightly that he could barely move, he'd snooze cozily. He also discovered that inside of a big, dark shoe made a great spot for a nap. 
His favorite activity was scrambling nimbly up a person and perching saucily. I mean, sort of like with it. Um, <clears throat> how do you explain that? An attitude of pride, maybe, on top of the person's head, chattering proudly and jerking his bushy little his bushy tail. He greatly enjoyed snacking on Ritz crackers. He would hold a cracker with both paws like a person eats a sandwich and nibble away at it with sharp, his sharp front teeth. And how did we know they were sharp? We received a playful bite on the fingers more than once. One morning, when I let him out of his cage for some exercise in the backyard, he perched happily on top of my head like usual. Suddenly, he took a leap, and I spun around trying to figure out where he got to so quickly. To my dismay, I saw him dashing up the big walnut tree about a foot from where I was standing. This was his first trip up a tree, and I was afraid he would never come back down. He was tame, but he was also quite naughty. So I called, here, Squirrely, here, Squirrely, please come back. Squirrely looked down at me with a twinkle in his eyes as if to say, ha, you can't catch me. But to my amazement, he came back down the tree right into my eager hands. Cats were his biggest danger. Occasionally, a cat would wander onto the back porch and watch Squirrely with a hungry gleam in its eyes. One sad day, Squirrely's curiosity and mischief got the best of him. It was Sunday, and when we came home from church, the door of Squirrely's cage was standing wide open. Although we searched and called everywhere, there was no Squirrely to be seen. We waited hopefully for him to come back by himself, but we hoped in vain. One morning, several days later, my brother announced, I found a squirrel's tail beside the apple crates in the orchard. Nobody ever found out what actually happened to Squirrely. We missed him a lot, but we are thankful for the opportunity we had to enjoy one of nature's wild creatures. That was a short little story named the Chatterbox, but the animal's name was actually Squirrely. Hello there, I'm sitting in Gigi and Papa's study. That's like their office, isn't it? And they're taking a little rest. It's a Sunday afternoon and I'm visiting them, looking out in their backyard and I see a squirrel. Some little things are trying to turn green for spring, but it's still late winter. And I'm going to read to you the ring-tailed rascal continuing on in these Betty Girl and Other Animal Stories. This new book that Mimi found. A masked stranger was walking around on our kitchen table. What were we doing about it? We were laughing at him. He had four feet and a ringed tail, and his backside was higher than his shoulders, giving him a comical waddle. He was our new pet raccoon, and we named him Rascal. One of the first things we did was feed him. We mixed milk and egg together and poured it into a baby bottle. Rascal went wild over it. At first, he grabbed the bottle with his forepaws, just like a baby, and grabbed the bottom end with his back feet. We held the bottom up. Excuse me. We held the bottle upside down, and Rascal hung in midair, guzzling the milk like he hadn't eaten in a week. He was a rascal, and not in name only. His busy paws could do almost as many things as a human hands can. can. When we had a rainstorm, the water washed a gully downhill through the center of our gravel lane. And this was Rascal's washbowl. 
He carefully washed his food in the rushing gully, scrubbing it by rubbing his paws together. He also used the water under an outside faucet to wash his food. We gave, him, we gave him a lump of sugar once, and by the time he was done scrubbing it, there was nothing left of it, of course. He couldn't figure that one out. In the barn, we played hide-and-seek with him. My sister and I ran around a corner, then crouched down and churred to him in our version of coon language. He waddled excitedly around the corners trying to find us. When he finally caught sight of us, he babbled a stream of coon language. We would have loved to know what he was telling us. He also made a habit of climbing to our shoulders and perching there as we walked. At times, we were reminded that he was still a wild animal at heart. One day, a young boy came to visit us. He began to play with Rascal, and soon his play turned to teasing. Rascal growled and bit at him, and the more he growled, the nastier the boy got. He kicked Rascal and grabbed him by the tail. Sad to say, ever after that, Rascal was more prone to biting when he was provoked. Our next-door neighbors noticed, began noticing odd things in their kitchen whenever they arrived home from an outing. For instance, a flower pot on the kitchen windowsill was spilled for no apparent reason. One night, they woke, awoke with pounding hearts. Somebody or something was prowling around in their kitchen. Pots and pans were banging together and toys were being pulled out of the toy box. The brave husband crept out to investigate. When he waved a flashlight around in the kitchen, he saw eyes glowing at him out of the dark. The man gathered up the courage to snap the light on. Lo and behold, it was Rascal the Coon. They discovered a hole in the screen door big enough for Rascal to squeeze through. Rascal was quite a character. We thank God for giving Rascal to us to raise and play with. That was the short story called The Ring-Tailed Rascal. Here's one called Our Mallard Orphans. Oh, I know two girls that like to hear about orf, about mallards, I mean. Usually when I see mallards, mallard ducks, that is, my mind takes a trip down memory lane to those long-a-day, long-ago days of childhood. In the summer of 19... 19- setting in our orchard. Having made that discovery, Mom, who worked in the orchard a lot, kept close track of the nest. Mama Duck grew tamer as she became more used to human beings, and at times she didn't even leave the nest when Dad passed by with a sprayer. One morning, Mom was saddened to find the Mama Duck dead, about a yard away from her nest. Nearby were the telltale signs that a heartless wild beast had killed her. Finding the ten eggs unharmed, and the little duckies beginning to pick their way out, Mom gathered them all in her, to her apron and brought them into our greenhouse. Of course, being the curious set of children that we were, we couldn't keep away, nor did we resist the temptation of lifting that damp rag for a peek, as slowly but surely, they were all hatching. We deemed them as an ugly sight, but once they dried off, we changed our opinions. Those downy balls of fluff were adorable, and they quickly won our hearts. At nighttime, we transported them into the kitchen in a cardboard box. Woe if we did not cover it or plug the holes. What a sweet melody it was to hear them peep peep themselves to sleep. Although our box and blankets were no equal to their mama's wings, it was the best we had to offer. Perhaps at this point, it was best they never had had that luxury. It was amazing how they seemed to totally accept us as their mama, 
On the second day, my little brother lay flat on the kitchen floor, and soon those ten babies had jumped on him. The wonder is that his laughter did not throw them off his belly. For a time, our ducklings thrived mostly on oatmeal and small insects, but we soon learned that night crawlers were by far their favorite. They ate all we could gather. Night crawlers are little fat worms, I believe. Um, they might be like grubs. We'll have to look it up. White and chubby and ugly. They ate all that we could gather until they literally couldn't swallow another mite. How we laughed over their antics. They could play tug-of-war with the worms, and once, when one ducky simply couldn't get his entire worm swallowed, along comes another. And after getting a hold of that last protruding bit, he succeeded in pulling the whole worm out of the other's throat. As the summer progressed, we lost a few of our pets. Feeling especially sad after one's death, we laid it in a velvet-lined cardboard box. Even yet, I could still pick almost the exact spot where we buried it, even though my feet have long since wandered from the home farm. Eventually, we built a pen in a swampy area beside our yard, dug a small pond, which we needed to keep filled, and to complete our project, little brother constructed a sign to hang on the pen. It read, No nay shishin, no shooting. <laughs> I'm not sure if that was Pennsylvania Dutch. I think so. I was going to say, um, or baby talk, but it must have been Pennsylvania Dutch. Our foul-loving neighbor man had really laughed about that. Gradually, our flock dwindled, a few more died, and the rest escaped. But with the beautiful Susquehanna just a couple of hundred yards away, no one could blame them. Perhaps the greatest reward was when the one hen kept on coming back to the farm to be fed. She was so tame, we could feed her corn from our hand. The way we could tell it was her was that she had one web missing on she had one web missing on one foot. So you know how their toes are webbed together? Duck's feet? Well one of hers wasn't webbed together. And the Susquehanna is a river in Pennsylvania, kids. All in all, having wild mallards on our farm was a worthwhile experience. It gave us a greater love and appreciation for God's creation and the many wonders of nature. Later we found this saying somewhere. If you love something, set it free. If it comes back, it is yours. If it doesn't, it never was. That's the end of Our Mallard Orphans. Next one is called Faithful Fluff. Some of these are just one page each. Short little stories. Fluff entered our lives when our second son, our third child, was a baby. So it was easy to keep track of his age. When our grandparents gave him to us he was just a small white bundle of fluff of a puppy no now we had to decide on a name one day our little daughter was outside with her daddy playing with the puppy when she came in she said daddy gave the puppy a name but she couldn't remember it i was baking pumpkin pies and remarked that the ingredients were really fluffy then she remembered the name was fluffy but was soon shortened to fluff puppy soon grew into a medium-sized dog. We lived on a farm and he seemed to like it. He was never tied and didn't seem to roam much. One summer we went on a short trip for a few days and asked the neighbors to do the chores and feed the dog. When we came home, Fluff was wildly happy to see us. He ran in circles and jumped around, etc. Maybe he thought he would never see us again. Fluff never wanted to come in the ha into the house as he seemed to feel his place was outside and couldn't be coaxed to come into the house. When we moved to another farm some years later, he went with the boys in the truck. When Fluff saw me inside the new house, he came running right into the house. He was so glad to see me. 
He would always follow me around when I was in the yard, the garden, or anywhere else, anywhere outside. As Fluff got older, he seemed more hard of hearing. And one day, when Dad was backing out of the driveway, he backed over Fluff with the car. Fluff could hardly walk and just sort of dragged himself around. That evening, I went to the garden. Fluff still followed me around, even though he had to drag himself. I felt touched by such devotion, and happily, he had a full recovery. Later, we were given a small black puppy. We named her Jolly. It was a good name, as she was very playful. Jolly tried hard to play with Fluff, but by then, Fluff was much too dignified. However, whenever I would go outside, Fluff was so glad to see me, he'd jump around like a little puppy, even though he was old and stiff. Fluff lived to be about 16 years old and wasn't sick long before he died. I thank God for giving us such a faithful dog. Faithful Fluff.